today we're going to talk about getting all the details right and polishing your game. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to the ninth episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I'm your host, Zachavelli, and today's topic is about polishing your game. But first, we have some housekeeping stuff to talk about. Um, last week, I made a Discord, and you can find the open invite link um, in the show notes and on my Twitter bio. That's at underscore Zachavelli underscore. And uh, yeah, it's actually really worked out, and I really like how the Discord is kind of getting the discussion kind of opened up for everyone instead of just having it in my Twitter DMs like before. Um, I think it's working out really well, and we got our first handful of people in there. And uh, yeah, we've started discussions on the kind of tools we use. Um, that's where we do the Game Idea Jam. I've posted some good links to um, learning content and some tools. So yeah, go check it out, uh, participate, and um, I'm sure you'll learn something. So with that, let's uh, go over to the Game Idea Jam. And I'm finally going to remember to explain what the Game Idea Jam is first. So the Game Idea Jam is the segment of the show where we discuss a prompt that I put out the week prior. Listeners are encouraged to go onto the Discord or send me a DM um, with their ideas based on the prompt. So last week's prompt was to add an item to the classic Super Mario's formula. Um, and this was to play with last week's episode, which was about difficulty. And uh, the goal here was to make something that feels fresh and new and kind of mixes things up. Uh, but you got to find that balance be- between being too good and not good enough to care about. And so the winner from this week um, comes from a submission on Discord by CC Techwiz. And his post says, I think an interesting item would be boots that let Mario double jump, like what they introduced in Mario 64. Kind of a simple idea, but would really change the way the classic game is played. However, the game is so fine-tuned that something like this might break the level designs entirely, which might still be kind of fun in a different way. So I really like this response. Um... One, because in kind of like a philosophical way, um, is it sacrilege to even mess with the original Super Mario Brothers formula? I mean, it was such a finely tuned game. Uh, Go back to my episode on jumping mechanics, and you'll see how much thought was just putting into how Mario travels through the air. But yeah, I think CC Tech brings up a great point here. Um... This might have been kind of a hard challenge because you're basically taking like a perfect game formula and like adding something to it. And so true purists uh, might think that that's, I don't know, kind of messing with perfection. But I think also this was an interesting idea because he's right. Double jump would totally change how the classic game is played. And like we talked about in the um, jumping mechanics episode, the double jump kind of allows for a player to make a mistake and correct it right because you can change the trajectory of your jump in the middle of like for instance a mistake like you didn't jump far enough for instance 
And so it kind of gives you an extra save. And this would kind of follow the common theme of all items in Mario about uh, giving you extra saves. For instance, the mushroom gives you extra saves when you run into a Goomba. So I think um, even thematically with the other items, it fits well. He's also right in saying that the level design might, you know, mess with this. Um, I don't know. There's probably not any jumps in the original Mario that are too far for you to make with one jump, right? Maybe at the later stages, you know, you need like a little bit more speed or whatever. But I think, though, that CC Tech Wiz is on the right path of thinking um, when you start to consider the level design of the past and how it might be played and how it might be changed with a double jump. And that's what this is all about, you know, really considering your game design uh, sort of principles. That way you can refine your ideas a little better before you make them. And we're going to see later in this episode about how uh, well-thought-out ideas can save you some time later. But for this week, uh, CC Tech Wiz wins because of his considerations that his change would make to the game and because he asked the philosophical question of should we even mess with the perfect thing. So for next week's jam, um, I want you to design a game that you could take to market and make in 24 hours. So this is a game that has all of its features complete, final art, final everything you're taking this to steam and going to sell it for real money but the catch is is that you have to plan it well enough that you can make it within 24 hours and uh you as you're listening to this episode keep this idea jam in mind because i think like the last segment especially of the body of the episode is really going to apply to this uh remember that you can submit your submissions on twitter through my dms that's at underscore zaccavelli underscore or you can go onto the Discord um, and post them there on the Discord. And that's probably the better way to do it because other people can see your submission. They can vote on it, react to it. So, yeah, the uh, Discord link is in the show description or in my Twitter bio. Come check it out. Okay, so let's go over to the body of the episode. So this episode is on polish. And if you've never made a game before, um, you might not have heard this idea or associated it with making a video game, but it's basically what it sounds like, right? In any craft, there's a polishing step. The one I'm thinking of right now is like in wood carving, um, like one of the last things you do is sand down all the hard edges so the wood's soft, stain it so it looks nice, and then seal it with, I don't know, some kind of, I'm not a... (laughs) not a wood carver, but you seal it so that when it gets wet, it doesn't get ruined. And I think this is a pretty apt comparison, right? Because these are like the last tiny things. The bulk of the work is done. You've already shaped the table. Um, you've considered who's going to sit at the table, what the table's going to be used for. And now you're just doing all the little things that just make it kind of nice. You know, it's soft to touch. It looks good. If it gets wet, it's not going to get ruined. And so I think that's a very good comparison to uh, the video game making process. It's the last step, and it's one of the most important steps because it can make or break your game. So you want to take the time and make sure that every little detail is right. And remember that 
perfection is impossible, right? You'll never make something that is absolutely perfect, but you should take this polishing step to get it as close to perfect as you possibly can. Remember that you're only going to get one first impression, and in a world that's full of video games, um, if your first impression isn't great, uh, your game's probably going to get passed. And that's just the harsh reality of the competitive market we're in. So I'm going to point out some things that uh, can be polished pretty much generally like for all games. Um, realistically, you know, your polish should go to every single aspect that you have. And because everything could be polished, it's kind of hard to make a all-encompassing guide. But what I'm going to do in this episode is break down where most of the polish goes for the games that I make. And so if I can give you some examples of things I do, maybe that'll help you think of ways that you can better polish your games. So I like to break it into three categories. And these are kind of the three categories where most of the polish is going to go to. The first is functionality, the second is presentation, and the third is feel. So let's start with functionality. And by functionality, I mean how well does the game work? Uh, if you remember from the past episode about game difficulty, um, the quality of your game or how well it works is very important for limiting frustration. And so you want to make sure that every scenario that a player could possibly do works as you intend it to. And this is generally done through um, some sort of debugging process. And when you first start, um, you're going to find bugs just as a thing that happens when you're making the game, right? Because um, it'll just be like apparent where the bugs are because your game won't work unless you fix them. And I know for a lot of beginners, this sort of bug fixing process or just getting code to work in the first place is where like a lot of beginners get turned around or turned off from game dev. And so it's for this reason why if you're beginning, if you're making your first couple games, I really recommend that you use game engines because game engines come with good debugging tools that will describe exactly where in the code and what the problem is. And another tip for beginners is um, really learn your vocabulary, especially the vocabulary that pertains to your game engine and the language that you're programming in, because the debug window might show you things and tell you what's going on, but if you don't understand the vocabulary it's using, then it's not going to be that helpful for you. So when you're first starting out, learn the basics, learn the vocabulary, don't try to bite off more than you can chew, and then when you run into problems, you don't even know what the problems are because you can't read what the debug window says. And I'm not judging anyone. I'm telling you this is what I did. Um, and then <laughs> I would run into a problem. And I'd look at the debug window and it would say like, I don't know, I swear there's like some hieroglyphics in there. And um, when I really got kind of turned around uh, and actually went from like a frustrating game making process to one that was actually fun and felt like with a couple hours I could make some serious progress was when I learned the vocabulary that the debug window was saying and I knew that with the debug window I could find where the problems were occurring and get sort of a diagnosis and then once you have that then you can just google that and that'll help you solve problems a lot faster. And one day I will definitely make a learn to code episode, or maybe I just have like a quick tip segment, even come onto our discord. There's a lot of people who know a lot about programming on there. 
uh, maybe ask them for advice on how to get started. But I know that that's a big topic, and I know people have reached out to me and asked when I'm going to have an episode for that, uh, and it's coming up. It's in the list of things to do. So let's get back on track, um, talking about the quality of your game, making sure that in the polishing step you get it as perfect as possible in terms of getting rid of bugs and making sure everything is working how you are intending it to. So when you're first going, and this goes for everyone, not just beginner programs, but when I say first, I mean at the beginning of the project, um, the bugs are going to be apparent, right? Because it's going to impede the functionality. But when you get closer to the end of your development cycle, um, you might have an entire game loop that works and the bugs will be kind of hidden in sort of strange occurrences and unintended behaviors that uh, you could play a whole game session and not find, but sooner or later, they're going to mess up your game. And this, most often, this just is like unintended behaviors like, uh, you know, glitches with the art or maybe a miscalculation of stats on a character. And these are the kind of tiny details that um, you know, a miscalculation of stats on a character can actually be a insanely game-changing problem. Um, if you just think about from last week's episode about difficulty, if you designed a whole section to have a character with a certain level of stats, and because of this miscalculation, they have either way more or way less, or even a little bit more or less, um, it's going to totally throw off the sort of pacing that you tried to set through your difficulty. And it might not be totally apparent that this bug even exists, right? Because that is a really small, tiny thing. Um, at this point, you've probably played through your game loop thousands of times, so what are the odds that you're going to notice this little tiny change? And so oftentimes when you get to the polishing step, you're looking for these small, hidden, unintended behaviors. And sometimes the unintended behaviors can be crazy hidden, like in most of the time you don't find them all and the game goes to release, and then someone finds it, and then, you know, that kind of happens in the maintenance stage. But you want to try and knock out as many of these as possible, but do realize that sometimes they're just going to be so hidden, so strange, that you're just not going to find them. One of my favorite examples of all time of <laughs> a bug like this in a game is in a game called Dwarf Fortress. Dwarf Fortress is a sort of colony simulation game where you control a group of dwarves, and they build the fort but the level of simulation on this game is absolutely insane it simulates like fluids gases none of the characters have like health bar or health points literally their organs and limbs and tissues and arteries and all that is factored into the combat system um, and even like the hardness of the metals of their armor and weapons uh, is factored into how much damage and not damage in a points value, damage in a literal how far did the axe chop into the guy's arm. Anyways, it's it's a crazy amount of simulation. And one of the kind of funny development stories um, was sort of a hidden unintended behavior caused by a sort of I don't I don't think you'd really call it a bug, but just like a misallocation of um numbers i guess a a stat that wasn't tuned correctly and so what happened was in dwarf fortress um, one of the key things your dwarves need is alcohol 
right? You got food, shelter, alcohol. And so the dwarves, pretty much every fort has a bar or a tavern type situation. And the dwarves are real rowdy. They spill a lot of alcohol on the floor. Now, another sort of key thing you want in your fort are cats because cats hunt mice and vermin and the vermin get into your food supply and you don't want that so you have a bunch of cats cats kind of protect your food supply plus they can see like things sneaking into your fort like uh, goblins and stuff like that so when one of the versions came out it was discovered that strangely cats were dying at like an unprecedented scale and when the bug reports came in or sort of the players started um, asking the developer, like, what's going on here? All the cats are dying. Uh, when they looked into it, it turned out that the cats were walking through puddles of beer in the bar, and because cats have a behavior to clean themselves um, programmed in, they were ingesting the alcohol off their fur, and it was assumed that there wasn't a situation where cats would be drinking alcohol, so their alcohol poisoning like threshold was never set. It was just kind of like a, a default number. I don't know how the game was made to this level, but let's just assume it was zero. So when the alcohol was ingested by the cats, it was killing them because of alcohol poisoning. And so that just goes to show you how crazy Dwarf Fortress is on a simulation level. But also, I mean, imagine trying to find that bug in a game full of numbers and stats and thresholds and uh, yeah I just forgot to set the alcohol poisoning threshold on a cat so pretty crazy but I think it's a pretty good example of how extremely hidden bugs and unintended features and how every single little number should be accounted for um, or at least you should try to account for it before you publish your game and this kind of also opens up another idea. Um, sometimes bugs can become features. And I know that's kind of like a meme <laughs> on the internet about developers where they pretend like the bug <laughs> was supposed to happen and say, yeah, it's a feature. But uh, this actually does happen in real life, especially in video games. And I have another cool story. I got a feeling it's going to be a long episode because I'm already two stories deep, but it's too cool. So I got to tell you it. So all the way back in 1995, a studio called DMA Design was working on a game called Race and Chase. And as I understand it, it was like a just a racing game where you could be cops or, I don't know, robbers or not cops. And what happened was the game was kind of like later in its development and uh, it just wasn't really working out. And one of the days um, they came in and they discovered a glitch where the AI for the police cars would go a little wonky and they would like ravenously chase the non-police cars. And all of a sudden this game about, you know, racing, kind of a very generic and boring thing, became like try to survive the crazy police car trying to knock you off the road. And uh, eventually they totally scrapped race and chase but kept this feature of the police cars chasing you crazy aggressively and this game became grand theft auto and so yeah that's that's kind of a cool um example of how a bug that made the police psychopathic basically made it so that the game that it was intended for got totally scrapped but that idea 
turned into probably one of the biggest gaming franchises of all time. I'll cool it with the stories for a bit so we can get back on track. So at this point, you're looking for super hidden bugs, and this is where playtesters come in handy. Now, I think playtesters are invaluable for the polishing process. Um, basically, a playtester is, it can be anyone who plays your game and offers feedback, um, and you might try and give them direction, or sometimes maybe you don't want to give them any direction and see how good your tutorial series is or see how easy it, easy it is to pick up your game. But the key thing is that they offer a different perspective than your own. Keep in mind, if you've gotten to the polish process, you've probably been working with your game for months, maybe even years. Uh, you've played it thousands of times. It's just easy to kind of get stuck in a perspective that is only your own, and so you kind of lose sight of what someone outside your project might see in the game. And so this is how hidden bugs stay in, is because you've played it the same way every time, and sometimes it takes like someone from the outside coming in, playing it a little bit different to discover a unintended behavior. And for me personally, I asked my brother, uh, Exhale02 on the Discord, I asked him to play test my games and he purposely tries to break the game i think in fact i think he gets a sick joy out of it but it is super helpful because he just does like things that you wouldn't do just to see if he can get any unexpected behaviors out of the game and so you might want to have some play testers like that just tell them go crazy just try and use items and places that it doesn't seem like it would work it's nonsensical try anything just to see if you can find any of these hidden bugs and get them out of the game before the game goes to market. So to summarize, uh, the first sort of category of things where your polish goes, uh, functionality, understand that there will be bugs at the beginning that are easy to catch because they'll impede the process of your game. But as you get going further and further, the bugs are going to become more hidden and hidden, but they'll be there. And sort of to deal with these things, you have a couple of things at your disposal. You have um, debugging tools that usually come with the software that you use to make the game. And then on top of that, um, having play testers can really help you find those more hidden bugs. So now let's go over to the sort of second category that my polishing steps go towards, and that's presentation. UI is a huge part of this. Uh, the classical, like, annoying step for me in making games is making sure that the UI fits well and looks nicely on a bunch of different screen sizes. As you can imagine, this is really important on mobile just because everybody's using something a little bit different. And so you want to make sure that your UI elements uh, you know, are going in the same place and look good on a tablet screen and look good on a iPhone screen, look good on those like monster XL phones. And so yeah, this is the one of the things that I spend a lot of polishing time on is considering how the UI looks on many different screen sizes and many different devices. And this isn't just for mobile devs. Um, you know, consider how your UI looks on different uh, aspect ratios for PC or you know, even for console devs, you know, you got to understand that maybe not these days so much with the similar aspect ratios of flat screen TVs, but if there's anyone out there making games for those old like TVs that you'd plug your Nintendo 64 in, 
you know, you got to think about how your UI is going to change. And I do want to recommend a tool for this. Um, this is one of the reasons why I really like Unity. But Unity has a feature called the Canvas Scaler. Um, the Canvas is kind of the layer that all of your UI elements sit on. And the Canvas Scaler automates this process so that um, no matter the screen size or width, um, your UI elements will always sit in the right place and they'll be scaled to the right size. And keep in mind, you don't have to only do this in Unity. Um, whatever engine you use, I'm sure there are some kind of tools like this. And if there's not, you could always do this through a script. Right on your initialization process, you could just read the screen size of the device that the app is running on and then, you know, divide it into grids and then make sure that your UI is always sitting on the right part of the grid. So next with uh, kind of in the presentation category of polish, uh, I want to talk about quality of life. And these are just like the little almost imperceptible things that mostly happen again within your UI that makes the game just a little bit more pleasant to play. For instance, we I think if you ever played a game with like inventory management, um, it's really easy to notice a game with bad inventory management uh, just from like a quality of life standpoint. Like if you have to sell items to someone and you can't just shift click and sell all the items that are similar to the one you clicked on and you have to drag, <laughs> you have to click and drag each item you want to sell and maybe it uh, in your game that happens a lot. So, you know, if you have to click and drag 50 things just to sell, that can be kind of annoying and that kind of represents a low quality of life. It's not like a game-breaking thing, but it's just like an annoying thing that could be fixed. And so a few examples of this is the one that I just gave, you know, having hotkeys to do an action that you would have to do a bunch of times. If you could just speed that up, um, that's nice to have. Uh, I like to sort my lists. If I have any lists in my game, I like to sort it by alphabetical or some other useful qualifier. Uh, for instance, again, at like a store, that would be the value of the item. You know, you want to be able to sort from high to low, low to high, maybe by type, that kind of thing. And then the last thing you want to consider uh, for UI, or the last thing that I consider, is that is there anything I can do to more cleanly show the information that the player needs. And all of this stuff should be considered up front, right? Because you're going to save yourself a ton of time on polish if you design a UI that is clean from the beginning. But maybe because I would say probably UI is what I'm worst at. And so I always end up having to go back and polish it because I don't know if it's just me, but it always seems like the first couple drafts of my UI, it just never is as clean as it could be. But if you make a few small changes, it can make a really big impact, in my opinion. And again, this is an area where playtesters are super useful. Um, if your UI is not showing the information clearly, uh, your playtesters will know right away. And they'll give, be able to give you that feedback. Another thing I want to say is, as far as this presentation category, I've been talking a lot about the UI. But of course, presentation isn't all about the UI. There's also a whole art aspect to video games. Um, and that's actually a very big aspect of it. One of the things that came to mind when I was drafting this episode about art and polish is that sometimes I'll have like a really cool art effect, like some kind of special effect, like a particle effect or something. And on its own, it looks good. But when you mesh everything together and you have like your sort of final product, a lot of the time these particle effects can 
look really cool but be bad presentation and they can really kind of clog up the information that the player needs to see and so i'm a big fan of like cool particle effects but i'm a bigger fan of clean information and feedback to the player so that they can experience the game mechanics so you're going to want to um make sure that you balance these things out right you don't want to totally mute your artifacts so that it doesn't look interesting but if you have particles just going all over the screen and the player can't read anything and it's super distracting that obviously can be bad so i guess the polish in this case is like really dialing in where is that sweet spot where it still looks cool but it's not like overwhelming. So just to go back uh, to summarize the things for presentation, UI is always a huge part of this for me. Remember this episode is about my personal polish steps. Um, and this just could be because UI is probably what I'm worst at. I always put a lot of time into going back into the UI and making sure it looks good on different screen sizes, improving the quality of life for players, and making sure that all the information the player needs is presented cleanly. Uh, concisely, quickly, and make sure that your artifacts aren't uh, messing with your clean UI. You want to find the balance between everything still looks cool, but everything still is sort of focused and you can find information fast. So the last category of polish that I go through is feel. And if you've listened to any episode, you know how big I am on the feelings that your game evokes. This is one of my core design philosophies. If you've listened before, you know this, but really consider how the game makes someone feel. Um, I always talk about what kind of feeling do you want to evoke. And so in the polish step, I had little tiny details that maybe even subconsciously give the player the feeling that I'm trying to evoke. Classic example of this uh, in an action game, if you want to like spice it up a little bit, when you hit an enemy, add a little bit of screen shake. Now, you don't have to make it like an earthquake level, like screen blurring shake, but even just a tiny, almost even like imperceptible, really just adds that like little extra spice to your combat system. And I think that's a good example of a tiny detail that has a pretty big impact. Another thing on feel, and this will be a throwback to last week's episode, sort of, um, but the balance of your game. And when I say game balance, I kind of mean um, the balance between the difficulty of the game and the tools and knowledge and experience that your player has to overcome the difficulty and the obstacles. And so if you don't have the balance right, all the principles you learned from last week's episode about difficulty are somewhat lost because if the game balance is off, then the player will be going into situations where they are either under or over experienced both from like a sense of their in-game character has too much or too little experience but also if your game hasn't been teaching them then they might not be able to take on your obstacles basically the sections that you designed to be hard may be easy and the ones that you designed to be easy may become hard and it can kind of throw off the whole thing we talked about last week with pacing your difficulty and so one of the classic examples of how this happens are feedback loops and this is represented by the player either like snowballing in its relative power or the opposite where their players mistakes are compounded and they become less capable of overcoming obstacles than you intended 
And balance to me is like one of the hardest things to polish because as far as I know and have tried, it's basically a trial and error process. Now, you can design the trials intelligently um, so that you know like kind of what things do when you turn them up or turn them down. But oftentimes the outcomes can like ripple and have add-on effects that you didn't even consider. And so balance is pretty hard to get because you just have like a lot of unintended consequences. And kind of going back to the like GTA story, sometimes these unintended consequences might actually make your game better. And so balance, although it's like one of the harder things to do, it's also one of my favorite things to do just because it's kind of gives you like a little bit of a surprise sometimes. So yeah, to sort of summarize the uh, game feel category of polish, you want to add feedback for the player so they can get that little extra boost of feel. A good example of feedback to the player is when you hit an enemy, um, you add a little bit of screen shake, or basically any feedback based on actions that your player makes. So this could be as simple as they're running really fast, the player character's hair blows in the wind. Or if you have a racing game and you make a sharp turn, it leaves tire marks on the road. Little things like that can really have a, a bigger impact. And, and another thing when you're considering polish for your feel of, the, of your game, you want to get the balance right. And you do this by avoiding feedback loops. And so you don't want a situation where your player got two items that in combination make them way more capable than you thought. And so your difficult sections are no longer hard or your player made mistakes that compounded and so now they're unable to deal with the obstructions that you've put in their way. And uh, yeah, without balance, then your whole pacing of your game is messed up. And so to get the balance right, unfortunately, you have to kind of do it trial and error style. But I think by doing it trial and error, you get a lot of insights into how your game works. So there is a fourth category of polish that I do um, on performance and optimization. But uh, I think I'm going to make a whole separate episode about that. This episode is already getting kind of long. And to be honest, we could talk for hours about performance and optimization. But for now, um, just know that in the polishing step, one of the big things you're really going to want to do is make sure that your game runs on a lot of different machines. And it runs in a way that it's like smooth and it just generally works on most things. And like the big measure way you're going to measure this is by frames per second. And so a lot of, I don't know about a lot of developers, but me personally, I have a, I have a nice gaming computer that I do all my programming on. So me testing my games on my nice computer um, isn't really indicative of the entire market. I probably have a higher end computer. So if the game is um, like passable, but not great on my computer, then for most people, it might not work that well. So yeah, this is something you want to consider and a really good tool that most game engines have is called a profiler. And without getting too technical, a profiler just tell you how long it takes a certain part of the code to execute, usually measured in like milliseconds. Um, one of the things you want to look for is something called draw calls. And this isn't too big of a deal on 2D games, but especially in 3D games, um, the draw calls are basically the part of the code that tells the computer uh, what to draw. And so as you can imagine, these happen 
like a lot. And if you have a lot of stuff to draw on the screen, these can take a really long time to execute. And then that obviously drives your frames per second down because uh, the seconds it's taking to make a frame is going up. You know, frames per second is frames divided by seconds. So if your seconds are going up and your frames are staying the same, that number is going to be lower. And there's a lot of good methods for um, reducing this, and I'll get into them on my performance and optimization episode. But for right now, um, use your profiler tools that come with your game engine, and it'll tell you where all the draw calls are coming from. And then you just got to sort through all that stuff and figure out, do you need to draw all that stuff, basically? Because a lot of times what happens is you're just drawing things on top of other things, and then the player's not going to even see it anyways. So you can really um, cut out a lot of the stuff that gets unnecessarily drawn. So yeah, I guess for the last segment of this, um, I think that all steps in the game development process are important steps. I don't think there's any one step that you can say is like, this is the most important, um, or you can kind of skimp out on this, this, this step. I think all steps are important in their own way, and polishing is certainly one of these without proper polishing your game will be subpar and i'm not saying maybe you know maybe subpar is okay if you're just like making little games for you or just as for fun but if especially if you're trying to sell your game uh just remember how competitive it is and remember that you only get one first impression and this is kind of something that's special to indie developers especially because Like, if you look at a studio like Bethesda, they make, like, Skyrim, Fallout. It's almost a joke at this point that their games are just going to have bugs when they release them. Like, you can go onto YouTube and type in Skyrim bug compilation or, you know, Fallout funny glitches. And you're going to see probably hours of unique glitches and bugs. And they just slowly fix these after the game releases. Sometimes they don't ever fix them and they're just in the game forever. And you got to understand, you know, you might look at that and say like, well, these are classic games, you know, bestsellers, games of the year. But you got to remember that Bethesda has a giant marketing budget. In fact, I think the marketing might, there might be more money put into the marketing than actually making the game. So they can afford to have a rough launch because one they already have so many fans of their games they're going to buy it anyways and two if it comes out and is rough the marketing is going to sell so many copies that it might not even matter but if we consider our little indie games like one bug can be a death sentence for you because unfortunately most of us don't have those kind of level of marketing budgets so our games get spread by word of mouth and if the word of mouth of your game is that oh it doesn't work or it's broken well then that's just going to be the end of your game so i'm not trying to like scare anyone into spending five years of their life making sure every single thing in their game works perfectly um remember that you're never going to be perfect so you have to know when to call it quits and just release it and so that's why i think the amount of polish you end up putting on your game is going to be different for everyone. It's probably going to be a function of how much you care about the game. And I don't mean that to sound bad, like it's perfectly fine to make a buggy game and just have it be a buggy game that you and your friends play. And when weird stuff happens, it's like kind of funny and it's not that big of a deal. But I think it's important to consider 
what polish can do for your game. It can really take your game to the next level um, by ironing out all these little details. And I think it's the thing that sets apart great games from good games. So I guess the advice, the overall advice I would give you is just make sure that in your plans of making a game, set some time aside and plan on polishing your game. And this is where sort of the game idea jam topic uh, ties into the body of the episode in that, you know, if you're on a tight schedule, like a 24 hour game, make sure you set a good chunk of time aside to polish. And this is a principle that even, so like the game idea jam, obviously planning is going to be a huge part of that because you only have 24 hours. But for every game you make, I think you will make better games if you spend, I don't know, maybe a third of the time polishing. And so I want to end the body of the episode with this thought. I think a small scoped game with a few features that is extremely well polished will always be a better game than a large scope game with bugs, a clunky feel, and poor presentation. So with that, I think we're going to get into the uh, end of the episode. Um, Remember to submit your Game Idea Jam ideas to the Discord. You can find the invite link in the show notes and on my Twitter bio. My Twitter is at underscore Zachavelli underscore. Um, You can also find me on Instagram on the same handle, at underscore Zachavelli underscore. Um, I post some of the concept art I've been working on, and I post some of that concept art in the Discord, too. So come uh, check it out. So thanks for listening. I've been Zaccavelli. Remember that the only good bug is a dead bug, and I'll see you guys next time.